Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, issue 19, A Midsummer Night's Dream. I really love this cover. It's just beautiful. It's fancy. Yeah, I love the typography over top of it. Yeah, there's a mask, which I guess we're supposed to assume is the mask that the actor playing uh, Robin Goodfellow wears. I guess so. And we've got a fairy up top as well being painted and the fairies down the side Mm -hmm. in that cool little artistic fashion. Artistic fashion. What else is on the cover? It's art. You made this art in an artistic fashion, Joe. I I use words good. The writing looks a little bit like um, calligraphy meets Tim Burton. Yeah, for sure. This is acrylic, inks, varnish, and paper. Oh. And continues the tradition in the dream country stories of having the title in the artwork for the cover. That's useful to have a title in your cover. Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't have to, but yeah, it's it, sometimes it's just laid over top. Like they mm. put, you know, the, the font over top of the actual image and just, but with this, it's built in. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> Let's get into the inside. Mm. First off, your prediction, actually. Okay. Uh, your prediction was a retelling of A Midsummer Night's Dream with Morpheus having more of an influence in it, which is kind of, it's kind of true, but not what you meant. Yeah. But well, I'm willing to call it not exactly wrong. Yeah, we can't go by what I meant ever, that I'm never meaning the right thing. <laughs> Usually I stumble into a thing. I'm willing to give half points. It's, I mean, you didn't think that it was just going to be about Dream hanging out in the midsummer. Mm. Right, you you got that it would actually be pretty faithful to the the story. Mm-hmm. And they did retell the story. They did, and Dream played a part in it in that he orchestrated it. Yeah, it was and one of the one of the plays he asked for. Yeah, it's also a spin on it because it's being played to those characters, and we get to know who right. those characters are. This is why I'm saying you you were not wrong. This I is think I win all the points. This is like fifty fifty. It's I don't think it's fifty fifty. I think it's <laughs> I think I got it. I, ace in the hole i don't know if that's an actual phrase but it is now ace in the hole <laughs> well let's get to the inside lord strang's men mm. it's, it's spelled strange okay it's pronounced strang i was reading lord strange men yeah which is a little weird their caravan is making their way mm-hmm. young hamnet shakespeare asks their father when they're going to get to the inn Mm. And he says, oh. How long do we get to an inn? <laughs> My legs are tired of walking. Mm. I never said we were going to an inn, Hamlet. <laughs> I kept wanting to read it as Hamlet in my head. Well, there are people who believe that the tale of Hamlet was written after Hamlet passed away. Spoilers! I mean, it happens. They mention it at the end of this. See, now that makes me think that Will Shakespeare mm. named his son Hamnet. Mm-hmm. And then spend his whole life, his son's whole life, not his whole life, mm-hmm. uh, being like uh, Hamnet, ugh, Hamnet, oh, it's an awful name, Hamnet. <laughs> and then after he died, he's like, mm, I know how I can fix this. <laughs> Hamlet. Much easier to say. While I was researching this, I actually found out that back then it seems that Hamnet and Hamlet were pretty much interchangeable. Mm-hmm. That somebody, because in the same way that Shakespeare would spell his name differently all the time, mm-hmm. like they even have Dream do this on page two, getting ahead of ourselves, but he calls him Will Shakespeare and William Shakespeare would spell it that way himself. Mm. The same thing with that, Hamnet would often just call themselves Hamlet, like Bob and Rob and yeah. Robert. Now I thought, 
with Dream getting it wrong, that was mm. just like um, he was kind of doing like the alpha male dickish thing where he's like, I'm just going to deliberately get your name wrong to show you that I am superior to you and you won't challenge oh, me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, that's Neil going, see, Dream knows he spells it a whole bunch of different ways and mm-hmm. is fine with it. And maybe at this point, this is how he spells it. Okay, well, in the version of the story where Dream is a dude bro power player kind of guy, that's that's what he's yeah, doing there. Yeah, okay. I'm the it's going to be the the Fox cinema, 20th century Fox version. Lots of explosions. <laughs> Is Dream going to be played by uh, Keanu Reeves? You have come then, Will Shakespeare. <laughs> it is already? <laughs> Excellent. I like Keanu Reeves a lot. Me too. I think he's a really good guy. Mm-hmm. I think he is criticized way too much. Yeah. Now, that uh, being said, I think sometimes he is criticized just enough. Yeah. The Kemp that comes up and says, how would it be if I were eating a pork pie in the first scene and then I could sit on it during Bob Arman's speech is uh, William Kemp. He's actually one of Lord Strang's men, mm-hmm. as is uh, Robert Arman. Both of them were known as comedic actors. Mm-hmm. And Kemp was actually known for being like a goofball improvisational performer okay. who wouldn't stick to the lines and tried <laughs> to just get cheap laughs all the time. Yeah. So that's what's going on here. Hence the pork pie. Hence the pork pie that he, I could sit on it and get a laugh. I think that, but it would make them laugh. It would also make them laugh if you broke wind loudly, Kemp. Please, just the lines and jest I writ for you. We mm. perform tonight. So I think all of us in the theater are uh, well aware of the people who want to add something at like, they're, it's intermission and they're like, I just want to do this thing. And yeah. you're like, no. Don't, don't you dare. Don't you do it. Not unless it's an actual improv show. Unless yeah. everybody's agreed ahead of time, then I adore it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the writer is there with you and they're like, okay, try this. Or like something is seriously not working and the director and writer are like, yeah, you should try that. Mm-hmm. Will Shakespeare sends Hamnet, his son, to wait with Condal and the other boys. Mm-hmm. Condal is Henry Condal, who was an actor in The King's Men, which is what Lord Strang's men ended up becoming. They went through several names. Sure. Because... They were named after their patron. Mm-hmm. For example, Lord Strang actually became the Earl of Derby. Okay. And so they became Derby's men. Mm. And then after he died, they became Chamberlain's men. Mm-hmm. And later on, they received a patent from James I, allowing them to style themselves the King's men. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. The King's actors. Mm. Working for the man. That's the most that you can work out for work for the man. That's yeah. the most sold out you can get. Mm-hmm. Henry Condell, who's young here, was an actor in The King's Men. Mm-hmm. And he, along with John Hemmings, were actually instrumental in preparing and editing the first folio, which is that first collected plays of Shakespeare that was published in 1623. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know a lot about his early life, but uh, it's possible that his father was just a fishmonger. So this is him trying to get something else to do and being a young man acting as a woman in these plays. Mm. Because women were not allowed to perform on stage at this time. They weren't allowed to do pretty much anything. Yeah. So all the women parts were played by young men who hadn't yet grown their beards. Mm, mm -hmm. And while it was common, it still was kind of seen as funny, like they would still get poked fun fun at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because your character's like, I don't know if there's a character like that in this play, but more like your old maid Mm -hmm. in uh, old nurse in Romeo and Juliet would be an older man and it'd be funny. Like... That there's this older man playing a woman and yeah, oh, a woman kind of thing. Yeah, total. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. Whoa, Mrs. Doubtfire slayed. She was beautiful and believable. 
Okay. <laughs> sure. And Will Shakespeare meets with Dream. Mm-hmm. Dream is rocking the purple outfit. Yeah, he is fitting in his what appears to be a royal-looking getup. He's standing on the top of a hill and yet somehow manages to be in shadow. Mm-hmm. Well, his cape is flying up in the wind and shading him, it seems. Sure. Yeah. This is dramatic. It's dramatic lighting. He doesn't match the lighting oh, around yeah. him. Oh, Dream is a poser. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt he knew how great he would look up on that hill doing that. If there was a hot topic in the 16th century. I Well, I mean, that's almost not fair. Century? That's not fair because hot topic literally arose around Sandman fans. Did it? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Some of the first shirts that Hot Topic was selling were Sandman and Death t-shirts. Oh, wow. For sure. Yes. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I love Dream's line here. Odd. Wendell's Mound was a theater before your race came to this island. Before the Normans? Before the humans. (laughs) There is a long man of Wilmington, and I can show you that there was a restoration recently. There he is up in the hill. So it's a hill, and it's basically a furrow in the ground that's then filled with white chalk. Oh, so a man is scratched into the hillside. Yeah. A figure. Yeah. Opening a portal. You can see him on page one up in the top left in that hill. (gasps) I didn't see that. Yeah. And you'll see him in the background in a few of the other shots, uh, sometimes just a piece of him. So that's kind of always been there. Yeah, they're not sure how long it goes back. It may have been cut in the 16th or 17th century AD. Okay. Oh my gosh, really? Mm-hmm. <gasps> so Neil has basically decided, oh, it's far older than that. This is from the Salmon Annotations. Wendell is a Celtic god and smith related to Wayland. There is an actual mound in England called Wendell's Mound. Now that's in the Salmon Annotations, but I can't find Wendell's Mound Anywhere Mm. in England. The only thing that I've been able to find tying this together that it might be true, and I have no idea where this came from even. It's just something that somebody posted somewhere, which is that the town of Wilmington Mm -hmm. is actually Wendell's Mound Town, Mm. having been, you know, garbled over the centuries. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense to me but I can't find it in the Wilmington pages anywhere. There's nothing that talks about their history. Okay. Uh, so I can't tell if any of this is true. I can't. Basically, Neil has books that I don't have access to yet, if if what he's saying here is true. Okay. Well, I just like the idea that at some point in the past, somebody was like, hmm, that hill's kind of blank. I'm going to put a giant man on it. Right. And then afterwards... Everybody just went along with it. Yeah. It's like you made some graffiti and then people came back and graffitied over it exactly the same forever. Well, you graffitied it and everybody was like, I've gotten used to that now. I wanted to stay there. Yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah. But like nobody went and drew a dick on it. Oh, they have drawn dicks on it. <laughs> oh, good. I'm yes. glad humanity has not let me down. <laughs> they have recently drawn dicks on it and they have to keep erasing them. Oh, it's not hard. You'll actually... Uh, <laughs> it isn't? <laughs> it's in. not difficult. <laughs> because uh, the width of the furrows are maybe, you know, two you, two of your feet. Like you put both your feet in it. You could stand in it with both your feet in it. Okay. That's about how wide it is. So you just get a, something to dig it up and you just dig up more furrows and put more chalk in it to draw whatever else you want. Sure. Excellent. Easy enough. Yeah. Excellent. 
I love this from the Sandman annotations. In case you're unclear of the history of the British Isles, mm. the Normans were invaders from France mm -hmm. and further back Scandinavia who conquered England in 1066, defeating the no more native Anglo-Saxons who themselves had come to England in about the 5th century, displacing the Celtic people and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. Wait, so if where did the Celts go then after the Anglo-Saxons showed up? They're still there. They're Scotland. Still there. They're just hiding in Scotland. Hey. Okay. So we're over to the next page, and we meet Richard Burbage, the leading man of Lord Strang's men. Richard Burbage was a famous actor at the time, uh, well-known for playing most of the dramatic leads mm. in Shakespeare's plays. He sells himself. He doesn't sell this particular play. Yeah. He hates this play. Yeah. Uh, but he just... He, he doesn't like the comedies. Talk... No, he doesn't like the comedies, but he loves to talk about how good he'll be at everything else. That's right. Yep. Tragedy is my forte. I have told Will to make me a lover most tragical, and when we return to London, I will make them weep true tears. Oh my god, I can see Dr. Orpheus from Venture <laughs> Brothers doing this. Yes, he kind of looks like him a little as well. Yep. Yep. Tragedy is my forte. I have told Will to make me a lover most tragical, and when we return to London, I will make them weep true tears. <laughs> How's that? Perfect. Thank you. I have no doubts of your ability, Master Burbage. Hmm. I see you understand the theater, Messiah. Lead us to your hall, then, and we shall perform our comedy for your enjoyment. So they decide to do it outside, on the green, as they rehearsed it. This is a natural stage, and the evening is warm, and the light will last us. We, I owe much to this man. Mm-hmm. I wonder what he owes him. Hmm? We saw the beginning of this deal back in The Sandman number 13 mm -hmm. with Hob Gadling. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back at the carts, uh, it's an impromptu dressing room. Mm -hmm. We've got the young men dressing as women here and mm -hmm. helping each other. The young man in red is probably Henry Condal okay. because the other one gets named later. And he's playing Titania, the queen of the fairies. Mm -hmm. Hamnet is playing a young Indian boy who mm -hmm. is Titania's servitor in the play. And the boy in the green dress is playing Helena, one of the young lovers in the play. Mm -hmm. The curtain theater that's mentioned here was the second London Playhouse. It was probably built in 1577 uh, in the curtain-closed neighborhood of Shoreditch. Okay. Strang's men often played there from 1590 to 1592 and Chamberlain's men in 1597 to 1598. This is all great info from the uh, Sandman annotations. Yeah. Just huge thanks to them for a lot of this. The neighborhood and therefore the theater, the Curtain Theater, were named not for the curtain in the theater, they're, okay. you know, around, uh, on the stage, but for the nearby defensive curtain wall which is what you call a wall that is a defensive wall between two towers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll have a castle that's made up of a bunch of towers with walls between. Mm -hmm. That wall in between is called a curtain wall. Okay. And so the location there was called Curtain Close. Mm -hmm. And the theater there, they called the Curtain Theater. Hmm. The Cross Keys Inn was an inn in London. Its courtyard was used for theatrical performances throughout the 16th century. Chamberlain's men played winters there from their formation in 1594 until 1596 when the city banned all performances within city limits. Huh. Uh, you'll see stuff like that in uh, Shakespeare in Love, where mm. there's just randomly, they're outlawed, now they're le allowed, now <laughs> they're outlawed. Uh, it's a mystery. Huh. The Globe Theatre actually was across the Thames from the downtown London core at the time and thus wasn't covered by the, their jurisdiction. 
So even when things were banned there, the Globe could still put on plays. Now, who are the city aldermen? An alderman is an elected member of a municipal council. Oh. So it's basically the, the mayor's council. Yeah. It's the government got me down. The local government. Mm. Actors and theaters were considered low class and disreputable at the time and were often hassled by self-righteous governments. And that would be just one such incident. They have all those problems with they keep making performances in London against the law. Yeah. So they hate all these horrible local government guys who stop them from being able to do what they want to do to entertain people and make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Globe, okay. though, like I said, was uh, across the uh, across the Thames. Hmm. And it looks like in the background of the fourth panel here uh, that somebody's practicing lines from Act 2, Scene 1 of A Midsummer Night's Dream. The king doth keep his revels here tonight. Mark not, i'faith. Take heed the queen come not within his sight. Yeah, that's a Robin Goodfellow, Puck line. Mm-hmm. He's warning one of the other fairies. Basically, Puck kind of works for Oberon, whereas some of the other fairies follow Titania. Mm-hmm. And it's Puck warning one of Titania's fairies, hey, the king's sleeping here. Don't have the queen come nearby because he's not going to like that. Oh, so they don't like each other. They're on the outs in this play, yes. Mm. The ill met by moonlight, proud Titania. Mm. It's like... It's not nice to see you tonight, Titania. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> but he's being very fancy about it. Ill met yes. by moonlight. Hmm. But as we see as Wendell opens his door, which is fantastic, mm. they're doing okay now as he comes in holding her hand. Well, it's date night. Everything's good on date night. A whole bunch of the rest of Fairy come in with Oberon and Titania, along with Puck. Mm-hmm. Robin Goodfellow in the flesh. Yeah. In the scary, furry flesh. And we have our title and credits, A Midsummer Night's Dream, written by Neil Gaiman with additional material taken from the play by William Shakespeare, art by Charles Vess, colored by Steve Olaf, lettered by Todd Klein, assistant editor Tom Payer, editor Karen Berger. Yeah, Charles Vess. I love his work. I love his work here. The detail, the looks of all the fairies. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, as mentioned, Oberon and Titania are also characters in the play. Mm-hmm. And so Dream is going to be showing them a play featuring them as characters in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Both true and not true stories. Dream welcomes Oberon as Oberon of Dom Daniel. Dom Daniel is a fictional cavernous hall at the bottom of the ocean where evil magicians, spirits, and gnomes meet. Cool. But uh, Neil is basically saying that is just one of the realms of fairy. And is saying, I guess, that Oberon comes from there. Mm. And they call him Lord Shaper. Shaper is a literal translation of Dream's Latin title, Morpheus. Because he's meant to be the shaper of dreams. Yes, But they just call him Lord Shaper. Your invitation has provoked much speculation amongst our people. I must confess, we thought we were quit of this place forever. Yeah, letting you know, oh, the fairies used to be here. But then they left. That's who used to be here. Yeah. Before the humans. And Puck is apparently being a little rude to dream here. Mm. Ho, 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 they say the seven endless are forever, mighty dream. You and the other six until the death of time itself. What say you to that, king of the riddle dreams? Robin Goodfellow, mind your manners. We are my Lord Shaper's guests, and I will not have him insulted by a hobgoblin. <laughs> We know what a goblin is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a hobgoblin is? Well, his other name is Robin Goodfellow. And we know that a cute little shortening in the same way that we might take Robert to be Bob, Mm -hmm. 
Robin Hobb. Oh. He's Hob the Goblin. Oh. He's a Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. Hmm. Gerblins. He's a level three monster instead of just a level one monster. Oh. <laughs> if you're playing role-playing games, no. He uh, has more hit points. Yeah, he has more hit points. Oh, I think Puck, yeah. Puck's oh, got yeah. a lot of, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Puck needs to have a lot of hit points. His dex is super high, so he's hard to hit, right? Uh, yeah, well, he's fast, especially in the play. I remember he... I'll wrap a girdle around the world in 40 minutes, mm-hmm. I think is the line. I'm doing that from memory. Mm. Where he basically says he'll run around the whole world in 40 yeah. minutes. So yeah. He's a rogue. He doesn't need to have. He's quick. He's a speedster. Yeah. And a trickster. King of the Riddle Dreams is another title we haven't heard for mm. uh, Morpheus. And uh, probably about how puzzling dreams can be. And I think Puck really likes that stuff. Yeah. But he's also poking fun at him, and I don't know why that is. They say the seven endless are forever mighty dream, you and the other six, until the death of time itself. So he's like, are they really forever? Mm. Could you die? Mm. And Oberon's like, that's rude. Yeah, don't talk about that. Yeah. (laughs) God, you can't just ask someone if they're going to live forever. Nay, good Oberon, it is a fool's prerogative to utter truths that no one else will speak. (laughs) Is that a line for something? That sounds like a quote from something. Uh, it's the uh, fool's prerogative to say that the emperor has no clothes. Oh, yes. Okay. And so they all get ready for the play. And Will says, uh, let this, our first performance, be our best, my friends. Will Kemp, no business we have not rehearsed. <laughs> yes. Henry Condal, remember that you play a queen, not a strumpet. Strumpet might be my favorite word. Even though it kind of means... Slut, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's kind of a, yeah, that's what he means. I feel like I'd be less insulted if someone called me a strumpet, you know? Uh, Yeah, a female prostitute or a promiscuous woman. See? I feel like in in general, I would be less put off by someone calling me a strumpet. And he wishes them break a leg. Mm -hmm. Might be a little out of time, but it depends on where you think that phrase comes from. There are a lot of explanations for why actors say break a leg Mm -hmm. and nobody's sure which of them is true Mm. one of them though i will mention because it kind of fits here is that an audience member at shakespeare's richard iii applauded by stamping his feet so heartily that he broke his leg (sighs) because you wouldn't applaud with your hands you would Mm. you'd stamp your feet on the wooden ground to let you got a cup in your hands Uh, probably yeah i know where to put it down yeah yeah so they do that so the that's one of them uh I don't even have an opinion. It doesn't matter. It's Apparently, it's bad luck to wish good luck. Yeah. So uh, I would just say, I hope you have a terrible time out there on that stage. That was a weird thing, uh, transitioning from like being a person who acted primarily in theater. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would um, sometimes hang out with people who are primarily musicians. And they would say, like, I would do contests and stuff where a bunch of us lined up all day to get to sing in front of some judges and see if we got entered into a competition. Mm -hmm. And people would say to you, good luck, right, before you walked in. And I'd look at them and I'd be like, bitch. Like, I wouldn't (laughs) say it, but like, and I realized, no, they're actually being sincere. They're saying good luck to me. But if if we were theater people, like, you saying that would be a dickish move. Like, it would be seen as a passive aggressive move. Um, so that's funny. In burlesque, if you're curious, instead of saying break a leg, we say pop a pasty. And when you pop a pasty, it's because your pasty, your nipple tassel right. pops off. And yeah. so then often you have to cover or you can not, doesn't, it's up to you. Um, but yeah, your, your nipple tassel pops off and you've popped a pasty. Yeah. Cool. 
The play A Midsummer Night's Dream opens with Theseus, the Duke of Athens, anxiously awaiting his wedding to Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. He's just bested her in combat. That's uh, what's going on. And they fell in love. He, mm-hmm. he rightfully won, and she was like, damn, this guy beat me in fair combat. He's awesome. I want to marry him. Well, this particular production begins with our uh, our Duke coming out and uh being so frightened by the crowd in front of him, he promptly forgets his lines and his son has yep. to pass them from the from the wings. Yep. <laughs> now, Faribolita. I just love his face. I love these shots of his face when he's looking up at them and he's like, oh, shit, <laughs> what have I got myself into? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a whole bunch of fairy just sitting in front of you as you've stepped out to perform a story about fairies yeah that you wrote a yeah. story about fairies yeah what have i done mm. now fair hippolyta our nuptial hour draws on apace four happy days bring in another moon but oh methinks how slow the old moon wanes so he's saying in four days we're gonna have a new moon and that's when we're gonna get married mm-hmm. but man i wish it would hurry up yeah i want to get married Awake the pert and nimble spirit of mirth. Turn melancholy forth to funerals. The pale companion is not for our pomp. Right. Even though we're seeing dream when they say pale companion, the pale companion is actually melancholy. Mm. He's saying, no, nobody's allowed to be sad and pale looking. We've all got to put on our best Mm. and look good and celebrate. Because yay, the war's over and I'm getting married to the queen of the Amazons. It's time to party. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we go to another couple. This is actually Hermia and Lysander. I found it confusing because his outfit is very similar. His outfit really is, yeah. Yeah, it's got the blue and the gold. The coloring was uh, not a great choice there, mm-hmm. especially with the, the quick cut to that. But oh, well, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that line is Act 1, Scene 1, Line 142. Oh, and these are two young lovers whose marriage is opposed by Hermia's father. He wants her to marry Demetrius. It is well spoken, sir. Your mortal author fashions well. I thank you, lady. And I, too, am gratified. Oh, and then we get to... Now, this main fairy, the big fairy dude, he's mm-hmm. nameless. But I the other so, characters yeah. get names. Yeah. So, Goathead is the first critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's this? What means this prancing, chattering mortal flesh? Methinks perhaps the Dream Lord brought us here to feed? Nah, it's a wash name, you know, thingy, a play. They're pretending things. That one up there is Lysander. He loves her, Ermia, but her dad wants her to marry the other one, Demetrius. See? Not really. These are mortals' mating rituals? Something like that, Scarrow, but it's a love story, not dinner. Big Blue Person understands the plot of the play, follows yeah. it very easily, yeah. and then the uh, Scarrow is not following it very well no, and just, just doesn't get it. I just want to eat these mortals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I came to eat these mortals. Are we going to eat? And then, ew, this is their mating ritual? Gross. Mm-hmm. And in the final panel, Helena and Hermia are best friends. Helena was wooed and then abandoned by Demetrius, whom she still desires, and Demetrius now wants Hermia. Nobody wants Helena. The way that I am differentiating Hermia and Helena is mm-hmm. Betty and Veronica. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, now, the other 
pairing doesn't quite work out so well for the guys. They're not exactly Reggie and Archie, but Betty and Veronica is working for me. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. Then we get to meet our craftsmen who want to put on a play. This is in the play A Midsummer Night's Dream. They are a group of craftsmen whose names refer to their profession. Mm. Uh, Quince comes from coins or wedges, and he's a carpenter. Nick Bottom refers to the reel on which a thread is wound. He's a weaver. Mm-hmm. Bottom is a major character in the play. He's a total, like, laugh-it-up goofball guy who tries to be a great actor but is obviously terrible, and that's mm-hmm. played for big laughs. Mm-hmm. And we saw Will Kemp. He's the one playing Bottom in this. And so this is the perfect part for him. Mm-hmm. Because his character is actually like Will Kemp. The play they're putting on, Pyramus and Thisbe, is an Italian poem. And it's actually the one that Romeo and Juliet is based on. And we have one of the guys having to play a woman. And he's like, no, I have a beard coming. Mm. He's like, no, I'm almost old enough that I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, as they're handing out the roles for their imaginary play within a play. Neil loves the story in a story. Because mm-hmm. we, now we've got a play in a story. But the play now has a play within it. Yeah. There's a play within a play within a story in a comic yes oh boy oy, oy, oy. and bottom is going off about all the parts he could play yes including a lion that is uh, directly from shakespeare's image stream yeah mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. thinks he can play everything and lets everybody know oh i'll be so good that he'll want me to roar again <sighs> yes meanwhile Huck is not paying that close attention to the play he's more interested in just getting to see humans again <laughs> oh How I do ache to make a sport of them. No. Do you behave, my servant? You are my king. Your whim is my command. Ho, ho, ho. I had forgotten me, these centuries in fairy, what rare creatures mortals could be, and what rare fun. (laughs) So, well, they say centuries. We don't know how long they've actually been gone. And again, I like to point out sometimes time travels differently in other worlds and stuff. So maybe they've been centuries in the ferry, but it's only been uh, maybe a hundred. But I don't know. Yeah. Depends on when you decide or Neil's decided that the fairies actually did live there. And also, if you look at the in the near the end of the story, he does say Mm -hmm. the portal is not completely closed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's important is that the portal... You know, you might find your way through eventually, or one of them might find their way here. Mm-hmm. Over to the next page, we get to see the actor playing Puck. Mm-hmm. Act 2, scene 1. This is lines 32 to 36. Puck and one of Titania's retinue. So he's telling her, hey, the king is sleeping here. This is the scene before that we were that somebody was rehearsing. Mm-hmm. The king is here, and she's like, I know who you are. You're Robin Goodfellow. And he says, thou speakest aright. I am that merry wanderer of the night. And Peace Blossom says, I am that merry wanderer of the night. I am that giggling, dangerous, totally bloody, psychotic menace to life and limb more like it. Just Peace Blossom, the puck might hear you. So it's a, what they're playing in the play here is the story of essentially the servants kind of dallying behind the scenes. Too. That's kind of what you get there. Yeah, the Puck servants. and another fairy without the their masters nearby meet in the forest. Mm-hmm. And Puck, I, I've seen multiple ways that this is done, including one where they basically hired a punk rock guy mm-hmm. uh, to play their Puck. And he, he looked like 
one of the Sex Pistols. Okay. And in it, there's a part where he's literally dragging the fairy around by her hair through the swamp while he Mm. says his lines. Like, he's just vicious and mean. They really play up that Oberon's side of the fairy are the dark and nasty and brutish. And, yeah, we're mean and we play tricks. And the other side is, we're the fairies with butterfly wings and we're all nice. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the way that Neil goes. Though. No, I like the idea of two servants kind of canoodling each other <laughs> behind the scenes because they don't really care about the beef between their masters. Mm. So if they're going to fool around behind the scenes, that's fine, so long as the masters don't find out. He does give her some threats, though, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a bunch of exposition that sets up where Titania and Oberon are and okay. how they're they're not happy. And, oh, well, she's got a little orphan boy. Yeah, he wants it. Mm. This, is, this is the back and forth is what's going on. I was quite confused when I got to this page the first time around because I saw this beautiful person with fairy wings and I thought that was Titania. Mm. Or I thought that was that actor playing Titania. Mm. Titania. Right. So then later I was really confused. I thought the actor in, in the red dress was one of the mortal women. Oh. So it confused me. I had to come back and go over well, it he again meets her, to figure it out. Oberon meets her at the bottom. Yes, but I was just I was confused mm. the first time. But above that, Titania herself says it seems to me that I heard this tale sung once in old Greece by a boy with a lyre. Indeed, my lady. That boy with a lyre is probably Orpheus. Oh. And we learned who Orpheus was earlier. Dream's son. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. And that's why this play. Well, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Then we have a meeting in the play of Oberon and Titania, ill met by moonlight, proud Titania. What, jealous Oberon? Fairy, skip hence. I have forsworn his bed and company. And we see hiding behind her skirts in the back. Yeah. The little boy. The little Indian boy. But she, being mortal of that boy, did die. And for her sake, I do rear up her boy. And for her sake, I will not part with him. So this child she has taken, mm-hmm. his mother died. While, yeah, while giving birth. Oh, so she's Of that boy did die, yeah. Okay, so not your traditional changeling story, wherein a changeling is stolen mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from parents who are alive and they leave behind an old fairy no, creature. No, William Shakespeare's written this fairly nicely. Ah, yes. That she's taking care of an orphan. That's good. Wouldn't want to insult the fairies who are watching. Mm-hmm. That child, the one playing the Indian boy, who... Is he? He is the son of Will Shakespeare, the author of this play. A beautiful child, most pleasant. Will I meet him? I have told Shakespeare to call an interval halfway through the play, and you will meet him then. (laughs) Oh, she is planning to steal a child. Yeah, yeah, that is probably going to happen. And we get more mentioning of the arrangement. Mm -hmm. We came to an arrangement four years back. I'd given him what he thinks he most desires. And in return, he'd write two plays for me. This is the first of them. Any guesses on what the second will be? No, I have no idea, actually. Okay. I'm not going to spoil it. Why, is there going to be another issue with it? (gasps) Maybe. And so then um, the real Titania... Does a good job of summing things up so far. So we have four lovers headed for the wood. We have clowns who would be actors and actors portraying me and my royal consort. In the old tale, there was a love potion that left the goddess rutting with an ass. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, as if on cue, the, 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 the Oberon in the play mentions the effects of the potion. Ah, yes, the love potion. So we get more explanation from the fairies of what's going on about the confusion. Mm-hmm. Well, two of them in the audience don't understand what's happening, which mm-hmm. is me usually in a Shakespeare play. I have a really hard time understanding the language. And then you've got the one uh, large fairy that knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. So there's a love potion, and he's going to make Her Majesty love something nasty. But where do the young mortals come into it? It's not just that. It's also Neil teaching all of us who might get confused. Yeah. Right? It's Yeah, this is a really wonderful way of explaining what's going on while giving you bits of the actual bit and then giving you explanations from really super interesting supernatural characters. Yeah. See, so I, I need this. I, I, yeah. I need this kind of uh, crib notes. Mm-hmm. I need that blue fairy to hang out next to me. I'll take an English lit course and yeah. the blue fairy can just hang out with me. And so somebody else also wants to talk during the interval. Richard Burbage is like, mm. we are performing for simple applause and even we glorious vagabonds must eat. We shall have an interval at the end of Kemp and Condell's first scene. We can talk of silver then. <laughs> Meanwhile, who is this in pink? This is one of the lovers? That's Hermia. Hermia was the one talking with Lysander the first time and it was confusing because it was a switch from the king. Yeah. Yeah, that's her again. Mm-hmm. Although her hair is a little lighter. See, her hair looks blonde, yeah. and she's supposed to be the dark-haired one. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be the Veronica, and she looks like the Betty. Uh, yeah, well, it's still brown, but you're right, yes. But Betty's wearing a green dress. I am with you. Huh. <sighs> and then we hear from Hamnet that his father's really busy, and he doesn't actually get to see him very much. He's very distant. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, one of the actors is telling him, well... I would still be happy if your uh, if my dad was a famous playwright. Mm-hmm. He probably thinks that Hamnet's going to grow up with all these opportunities that this other actor didn't have. Mm-hmm. We know he's not going to grow up at all. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Hamnet Shakespeare. Robin Goodfellow is loving it. This is magnificent, and it is true. It never happened, yet it is still true. What magic art is this? Hmm. What angel wakes me from my flowery bed? (laughs) Titania is awoken by Bottom, who now has an ass's head. Mm -hmm. One of the fairies doesn't think it's very funny. Mm. Somebody having a donkey's head. All right, what's so funny about having a donkey's head, eh? Eh? Go on, tell me, what's so funny? (laughs) It's about knowing your audience. Uh, and then uh, I love, I just love everything she says. Besides, if you ask me, none of those women are women at all. They're males, I can tell. Human males taste more like rabbit than females, and they stick in your teeth. Oh, yes. I was thinking about eating again. Hmm. Also, the males are hairier, and they lack the flesh on their chests. Will you shut up? I can't hear a thing. She's like, I don't understand this play, but I know stuff about humans, so I'm going to talk about mm-hmm. how I know stuff about humans. But mostly knows about how they taste. Mm-hmm. And there's an interval, and we get the players and the audience mixing during that. That's super weird. Usually, you like hide in the back during intermission. I guess this is what rich people get during performances, mm. right? Oh, you're performing for us out in our big open area, and you don't have an actual green room to hide in? Well, come talk to us, because mm. that's what we want, because we're rich. And... Puck meets Puck. Yes. He's very rudely reading over his shoulder. Yeah. That's very rude. And Richard Burbage asks for money mm. from Oberon, who... 
Gold. You ask Oberon of the Fae for gold? Then you must have your gold, actor. Why, thank you, Lord. This will be more than sufficient. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm sure that gold will last. I'm sure they accept it in all institutions. Yeah, it's no way taking fairy gold from gold. a fairy king is gonna... Fairy gold. It's totally, it's good everywhere. Mm-hmm. You played me well, mortal, but I played me for time out of mind, and I do Robin Goodfellow better than anyone. Now, do you think he killed him or just no, knocked him out? he just put him to sleep. He put him to sleep. That's oh, what those yeah. little sparkles are. Yeah, I think that's sleepy magic. Okay, because he does look like a very dangerous fellow. Oh, yes. Robin Goodfellow. He's mostly pointed teeth. If you crossed him, I, yeah, I totally it would be very bad for you. Okay, but in this time, he's just like, sleep now. He's like, we am having fun. Yeah. Okay, he's the Vulcan nerve pinch. Yeah, Dream and Will get to meet up and talk, and uh, Dream mentions how satisfied he is. Mm-hmm. And then he brings up his friend. Mm-hmm. Kind of a dick move to tell someone their friend has died halfway through their play. Right, this is, again, remember, this is older Dream, mm-hmm. who was more of a dick. He didn't understand humans and emotions and stuff yeah. so well, it seemed. He didn't care. Yeah. Oh, you've not heard? Marlowe is dead, Will. He died in Deptford three weeks back of a knife wound to the head. Also note in the background while they're talking to Tanya and Hamnet. Yes, they're chatting. Christopher Marlowe was charged with blasphemy in 1593 with Thomas Kidd, but he was stabbed to death reportedly in a dispute over a tavern bill before they were brought to trial. His killer, a fellow spy, was immediately pardoned, leading some historians to speculate that Marlowe was silenced by the government. Mm. For whom he was spying. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, but it it was a tavern brawl, but it could have been a set up tavern brawl. Mm. Yeah. Meanwhile, real Titania and Bonnie dragons that will come when you do call them and fly you through the honeyed amber skies. Mm-hmm. There is no night in my land, pretty boy, and it is forever summer's twilight. Sounds good. I like summer's twilight. I've got some candy in my van. Yeah, well, here's an apple. Candy and puppies. The Sandman Annotations notes that Titania is giving Hamnet an apple, and as seen in the Books of Magic number three, this means that Hamnet becomes hers to do with as she will. (gasps) Do you think maybe when he dies later, it's not that he dies, but he goes to the fairyland? Maybe. Ooh, especially because he's a little boy who's dissatisfied with his father. Yeah. (gasps) Oh, it makes so much sense. And the play continues. Puck reports his antics with Bottom and the love potion to Oberon. My mistress with a monster is in love! (laughs) (laughs) And we get some more from Oberon and Titania. This must be our last visit to this earth shaper. Things have changed and will change more. And Gaia no longer welcomes us as she once did. I know, and I regret it much. Hmm. But you will always be welcome in our land, Dream Lord. The gates to Fairy are never fully closed. Come when you wish. Perhaps one day I will. Hmm. I like the idea of them wanting to leave too because they're they know smartphones are coming. It'll be harder <laughs> for them to hide. So they're like, We better get out. They just yeah. they overshot it by a few years. Yeah. Father, she was such a pretty lady, father, and she said such things to me. Not <laughs> now, child, I must see this. <laughs> oh my god. You're gonna lose your son. That's just that's just how you lose your son. Yeah, yeah. Lord, what fools these mortals be! <laughs> oh, Puck. This influenced me mightily because it was just about this time I started getting on the internet. 
Okay. When I started reading these comics. And so when I got asked, uh, I signed up for my first ever internet account. And like, what do you want your uh, email to be? It can be whatever at our company name.com because we're, you know, ISP.com. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, can it be Puck? And they said, yeah, sure. So that's been my email address. Like I used Puck at whatever and then changed it to another Puck at whatever for probably 15 years, mm-hmm. maybe even 20. It's only been recently I've switched to my name. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you get for being like entering the internet at an age wherein you've developed like fairly good taste in things. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was not that age when I entered into using the internet. I was just a child, really, and... Hot Butts 3857. How did you know? (laughs) It's Hot Butts 6969. Oh, of course. Titania and her fairies are anointing bottom with flowers. Yeah. My gentle joy. And once again, they're talking about uh, Peas Blossom... Mm-hmm. Where's Peas Blossom? Scratch my head, Peas Blossom. <laughs> and the real Peas Blossom is like, Psh, yeah. I'm the only one. You it's, don't just write me into a play. It's nothing like me. Nothing. Hmm. What's name? Travelog? Nah, travesty. That's it. I'm the only Peas Blossom among the Fae. Scratch his head. I'll give him Scratch his bleeding head. <laughs> and eventually he gets silenced. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what happens at that. I wonder, is Peace Blossom still there? Did the big one eat them? Is that maybe what happened? No, I'm sure he just... We'll see. ...put his big hand on his <laughs> face. I find putting your hand on someone's face in the theater a good way to shut them up. Yeah, I'll have to try it. And here we have Pac and Oberon undoing almost all of their weirdness. That's the thing about A Midsummer Night's Dream. It has a really creepy ending. Mm-hmm. For those who haven't seen the play, there's two sets of lovers, or at least they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the traditional, you know, man-woman setting thing that's going to be in these plays. One of the men, Demetrius, has decided for whatever reason he doesn't love Helen anymore. He loves Hermia. Mm-hmm. So we've got both the men loving her. And then throughout the play, there's been magic that's reversed that one at a time so that they love the other one. And then the one that mm-hmm. they both love now is loved by nobody. It all gets undone, except for Demetrius, the one who originally loved Helena or, or dated Helena, but then decided that he was he wanted to have Hermia. Mm-hmm. He still loves Helena mm-hmm. because of the magic juice in his eyes. And that's part of the happy ending. Well, if you think of the time in which it was written, having all of the young men and women mm-hmm. pair off at the end of the story is the, quotation marks, righteous way right, to end exactly, the story. Exactly. Except it's not. It's not. No. He is not consenting to that, truthfully. And like, she can do better than someone who doesn't want her. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I agree. We need to have uh, the sequel where where that thing gets fixed. Um, You mean the sequel where Betty and Veronica run away together and leave both the boys behind? A midwinter's nightmare? Where the girls team up and murder everybody? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Can there be one guy left who's nice? Lysander was nice. Yeah, Lysander wouldn't do bad. And when he wasn't nice, it was because of magic. So both the girls and Lysander will date, there, now all three of them. And Dimitri will run off and... Demetrius will be a man going his own way. <laughs> yeah! Oh my gosh, yes. I've had a dream, past the wit of man, to say what wit it was. Man is but an ass if he go about to expound this dream. Methought I was... There's no man can tell what... What I love about this in the A Midsummer Night's Dream play 
is Bottom has spent this entire play being just a big loudmouth boob, yeah. uh, saying he could be great at everything, making proclamations. Mm-hmm. And then the Queen of Fairies falls in love with him when he's got an ass's head and mm-hmm. he gets massages and back rubbed and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like a, a fool who says nothing serious or worthwhile and, and you think that you can discount everything. And then this scene where he wakes up, he becomes honest and mm-hmm. open and loses his pretense. Mm-hmm. And like starts kind of, he's like, I can't, I'm like, he's, it's great that a person who can't shut up is like, I, I don't know what to say. Mm. Yeah. It's really great. I love that about mm-hmm. bottom. And then we get dream expressing some thoughts he's had. Yeah. About whether or not it was right for him to make this pact with William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I wonder, Tanya, I wonder if I've done right. And I wonder why I wonder. Will is a willing vehicle for great stories. Through him they will live for an age of man, and his words will echo down through time. It is what he wanted. But he did not understand the price. Mortals never do. They only see the prize, their heart's desire, their dream. But the price of getting what you want is getting what once you wanted. And had I told him, had he understood, what then? It would have made no difference. Have I done right, Titania? Have I done right? Hmm? Oh, it is a wonderful play, Lord Shaper, most enchanting and fine. So she wasn't listening? Yeah. There's a monologue about making choices and stuff. He's, he's opening up. Yeah. Oh my this... God. It is more words he said at once than oh, yeah. ever. He's met Hobgathering a couple times, but they haven't decided, and he certainly hasn't admitted that they're friends. Mm-hmm. And he has said, you know, even when he when that happened, which is after this, you, I can't be friends with a mortal. Mm-hmm. But she's not; she's mm-hmm. immortal. So he's trying to talk to somebody about this thing, and she's like, "Hmm, oh yeah, great play, yeah." <laughs> which is also totally what fairies are, right? The the fae are flighty and don't pay attention and yeah. don't they don't take things seriously that no. people think that they should take seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. And we have Bottom finishing his speech that I love. The eye of man hath not heard, the ear of man hath not seen. Man's hand is not able to taste, his tongue to conceive, nor his heart to report what my dream was. Mm-hmm. Which is this wonderful, well-spoken, beautiful way of saying, I don't know how to describe what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> By a character who before, again, has not shut up. And we're back to the to the end of the play Mm -hmm. for the most part um the duke and queen of the amazons are getting married that's who those characters are yeah that's duke Duke theseus and hippolyta of the amazons yeah Mm -hmm. they're gonna get married Mm -hmm. and uh and the duke says uh, because they're watching he says i never i never believe these antique fables nor these fairy toys lovers and madmen have such seething brains So he's he's saying the things that the things that they say happened in the woods yeah. are wrong. I don't believe madmen with mm-hmm. the tales they tell of the fairies. But then he goes on to talk about how madness and creativity are very related. Yeah, well, because it's an actor who's talking to him. You mm-hmm. know? The lunatic, the lover, and the poet are of imagination all compact. One sees more devils than vast hell can hold. That is the madman. The lover, all as frantic, sees Helen's beauty in a brow of Egypt. 
the poet's eye in a fine frenzy rolling doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, and as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name. Dream is smiling there. Because that's what he does with our dreams. He is the imagination that's bodied forth, and then the poets take what he's given them and turns it into these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now Theseus and Hippolyta are being offered plays that they can choose to have presented for them. Mm. The first one being the riot of the tipsy bacchanals tearing the Thracian singer in their rage. (sighs) Well, the tipsy bacchanals are the ones who killed Orpheus, who is a Thracian singer. (gasps) So that's probably, hey, would you like to see the story of Orpheus Orpheus being killed? (gasps) And uh, Theseus, yeah, and Theseus says, that is an old device. And it was played when I from Thebes came last a conquerer. So he's like, no, I saw that a long time ago. I yeah, see last time I went and conquered Thebes, mm-hmm. I saw that. I'm not interested. Yeah. So instead, we get Pyramus and Thisbe as performed by our players. And they're trying to kiss through a hole in the wall. They're trying to glory hole it. Yeah. The original glory hole. The way that I've normally seen this performed is that one of the actors playing a wall is actually holding their hand out in kind of a horizontal live long and prosper, you know, with mm-hmm. it split apart. And that is the wall's hole. Mm. And so you get somebody who's representing, you know, like a surly carpenter or person who doesn't know how to act, who's like, yeah, I'm the wall. And then you have these other two playing a man and a woman who are in love who have to try to kiss each other through this hole in the Mm -hmm. wall. Then the actors pretend that they're embarrassed to be doing this and can't do it. And that becomes part of the comedy of this entire scene. Yeah. Okay. And we get more text from Dream. He's trying to open up more. He's just monologuing. Mm-hmm. You've asked me why I asked you back to this plane to see this entertainment. I, during your stay on this earth, the fairy have afforded me much diversion and entertainment. Now you have left for your own haunts, and I would repay you for all the amusement and more. They shall not forget you. That was important to me, that King Oberon and Queen Titania will be remembered by mortals until this age Mm. is gone. And it's true. We know who they are. Yeah. And I think because of that, that maybe more people will dream about it. mm -hmm. I mean, I don't really, I've never, I think I've maybe watched Midsummer Night's Dream done live one time. and I didn't really know the story that well until today. And I still knew those characters' names. Yeah. I knew Oberon and Titania. Well, you watch Gargoyles. Yes, I do. Disney's Gargoyles does have mm-hmm. Oberon mm-hmm. and Puck. Mm-hmm. Does Titania show up? Yeah, I think she does. I don't know. I, don't know. I haven't watched that much of it. Okay. We thank you, Shaper, but this diversion, although pleasant, is not true. Things never happened thus. Oh, but it is true. Things need not have happened to be true. Tales and dreams are the shadow truths that will endure when mere facts are dust and ashes and forgot. If you say so, Dream Lord, we are honored. (laughs) They're like, yeah, we don't get it. Okay. (laughs) And Hippolyta is remarking on the Pyramus and Thisbe play. Mm. This is the silliest stuff that ever I heard. The best in this kind are but shadows, and the worst are no worse if imagination amend them. Theseus is like, well, just pretend they're better. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alas, it is midnight, and the couples need to 
go to their beds. Yeah. And while it is midnight and the couples must go to their beds, so must all the fairies. Yeah, well, Oberon's like, yeah, let's leave this foolishness. It's rude. The portal's opening and the play it. is not even over yet. They're leaving before mm-hmm. the curtain call. Yeah, before the... Yeah, no applause. Puck decides he's going to stay. Mm. Go, you all. Your Puck will stay. The last hobgoblin in this dreary world. Ho, ho, ho. That's not Cowley. What's happening? Where are they going? What's happening? And we get Puck's final line. He's basically saying... If you didn't like this, if you don't think our performance was any good, just imagine that you were just dreaming Mm. this entire thing. If you forgive us for what we've done, we'll fix it. And as I am an honest puck, if we have unearned luck now to escape the serpent's tongue, meaning if the critics don't ruin us, Mm. we will make amends ere long. We'll do another one. It'll be better. You'll like it. Yeah. Else the puck a liar call. So good night unto you all. And that is very often played as a threat. Yes. Or are you saying, I'm a liar? Mm. I'm the puck. And at Mm. this time, the puck was somebody that people would warn their cats about at night. Oh, get in here, Mr. Bubbles, or the puck will get you. Mr. Bubbles? Mr. Bubbles. (laughs) I I improvised a cat name. (laughs) Give me your hands if we be friends, meaning applaud. If you're happy with what we've done. And Robin shall restore amends. Mm. I love the last line of that play. I love that in-story hello to the audience. Because it's Puck who's been a character in this play the whole time. Mm -hmm. And in the actual play, it's not a a hobgoblin who's taking the place of an actor. Or is it? Or is it? Well, Neil is basically giving the reason why... The character in the play is now talking to the audience, Mm -hmm. but in character. Mm -hmm. And it's because, well, because it is Puck. Yes. Which is part of why this is even more genius. I also just love every panel of this art. Oh, yeah. He's thrown away his the clothing he was wearing when he was pretending Mm -hmm. to be human. Mm -hmm. He's thrown away his mask. He's naked and just runs off into the darkness as the sun sets. Mm -hmm. Ugh, love it. He's very scary looking. I love it. Hand over the page, the actors awaken. They're all just sleeping on the hill, much like in the play when random characters awaken just lying <laughs> in the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they. I don't know how many times those lovers fell asleep in one night. Mm, walking through the woods is very tiring. Oh, it's the middle of the night and I'm tired. Time to go to sleep. Oh, I've been walking for another hour. Time to go to sleep again. <laughs> they all forgot their sleeping bags. Yeah. Father, I had such a strange dream where there was a great lady who wanted me to go with her to a distant land. Foolish fancies, boy. On the cart today, you must practice your handwriting. Perhaps you could write a letter to your mother or to Judith. Mm-hmm. So he he just basically ignores... Like, this kid is talking about his dreams and stuff. And yeah. like William Shakespeare like knows the personification of dream. He knows what it means to have these fancies and how he writes them into stories mm-hmm. and all of that. And yet when his son experiences that, he just shoots him down. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. Hamnet Shakespeare died in 1596, aged 11. As Hamnet worried when he was talking about his father, he'd probably just write a play about me. Mm-hmm. Hamlet and Hamnet are basically the same thing. And it's believed that Shakespeare actually played Hamlet's father in the mm. first performances as well. So okay. the very sad, ghostly 
father missing his son because now the father's dead. He's kind of reversed it. Mm. Not everybody believes that Hamlet is based on Hamlet's death or influenced by it at all. Some people believe it might even predate it. So so we're not sure uh, Sure. if that's true. Neil here is, of course, saying that it probably is and Mm. is writing the character that way as is absolutely his prerogative. Robin Goodfellow's present whereabouts are unknown. That feels that that one panel with the who died and where people are, it reminds me of like the end of those movies <laughs> that will be like about a bunch of high school kids and then later it like flashes text in front of the screen being mm-hmm. like, this person died in this year. This person married and had children and became be a senator. And, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It feels like that. Oh, and of course the gold turned into flowers. Oh, didn't we mention that? Yeah. We skipped that. The gold turned into golden flowers. Yeah, yellow leaves. Now, that's much better than turning into golden showers. <laughs> sure. I mean, depending on I mean, what you're into. Unless that's your thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to judge. We'll leave that up to you. Mm-hmm. The World Fantasy Award in 1991 gave this issue the World Fantasy Award for Best Short Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a common rumor afterwards that the rules were subsequently changed to prevent another graphic novel from winning. However, the awards administration later clarified that comics and graphic novels were not intended to be eligible for that category, which did not require rule change. Comics are eligible in the special award professional category. We never made a change in the rules is what they say. No person has won or been nominated for the special award professional category for their work on a comic or graphic novel before or since the controversy. Hmm. So they claim they didn't change the rules and that there's an official place for it, but it sounds like bunk. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever, awards. <laughs> like, really? Oh, no, this award that's arbitrary has decided to arbitrarily not allow this thing I like. Okay. Well, this was also at a time when comics had less um, standing than they do now. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, they this... were considered to be kind of trash right yeah yeah there was there were for kids they weren't literary they weren't yeah they weren't for adults to read a lot of people thought that i mean it certainly wasn't true even at the time there were plenty of comics but in the in the public perception that was certainly true and the sandman was a major change in that Mm -hmm. especially once these collected graphic novels came out when the collected graphic novels came out it it became uh, something more substantial that adults were allowed to kind of hold in their hands rather than you know a thin you know, uh, cheap paper printed comic that you get monthly. Yeah, I mean, I still pretty much never read comics in that form. I've always Mm -hmm. had graphic novels of them. Sure, sure. And as for Hamnet Shakespeare and your belief that Titania might have taken him rather than he died. Yeah. Neil also has a short series for DC called The Books of Magic. I've talked about it before. It has this uh, young English boy with glasses who's a powerful wizard. Okay. He's got, <laughs> named Timothy Hunter. Uh-huh. In it, Timothy Hunter meets Titania as he's you know, being shown around all the magical powers in this DC universe. Mm-hmm. And she has a young page with her mm-hmm. named Hamnet. <laughs> Baby thief. Yeah. Although it's modern day, but time is weird. Yeah. So uh, I think Neil's basically saying, yeah. Sure. She took him. She probably left a changeling body behind. Oh, good. Right? So that's what they found dead. Yeah. I remembered hearing that he had drowned because somebody was trying to tie that together to uh, Ophelia drowning in the play. But from what I've read, it was probably bubonic plague. 
Yeah. Uh, only about one in three kids lived past the age of 10. Yeah. You made it to 11. Kids were pretty disposable back then. Yeah, maybe that's why uh, Maybe that's why Will wasn't so kind to him. Mm. Eh, better not get too, too attached to this one. There's a one in three chance he'll be gone. Yeah. Eh, maybe, maybe. So next issue. Mm-hmm. It's called Facade. It's another self-contained story. Okay. And it does not feature Dream at all. Okay, I already have a prediction. Okay, what is it? It's about a person. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to state gender because I don't know. Okay, that's fine. Who can change their face? Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, uh, and what happens? Like in Game of Thrones, the people who change their faces. Oh, uh, not exactly like that, uh, but like. Uh, sure, okay, shapeshifter of some yeah. type. Okay, person and. Person can change their face. Yeah, and. That's not enough. Well, what happens to them? Well, I'm willing. No, um, they several things. I mean, if Dream isn't in it, I guess maybe well, they come in contact with a different endless. A uh-huh. person who can change their face comes in contact with a different endless. Right. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, that will be your prediction. Oh yeah. And we'll find out how accurate it is next episode. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue nineteen, a Midsummer Night's Dream. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Like us on Facebook. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, including Google Play Music and iTunes. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Angle. Hear more at kaiangle.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up.